0: Uh, set up these chairs and put all the tables and chairs away who uh, were at the conference yesterday Uh, I must say as uh, per the usual you did a better job than the men (laughs) I had to move one chair that was it when the guys do it it's a little different a little different well, uh, it, uh, I'm opening my Bible, but I, today we're going to go just do a, uh, a, another biography. Uh, my soul has been edified this week in looking at the, the story of George Mueller. You know, I, I, have, I have used many of his uh, happenings, quotes, in different situations and sermons, and this is, uh, he, he's one of my heroes of the faith for sure, because of his faith. And how he, very simply put it, he just simply wanted people to understand that God answers prayer, and we can take him at his word. So we need to know the word. So just particularly uh, for me, in anticipation of surgery tomorrow, I have a 12.15 uh, surgery time. They're anticipating a four to four and a half hour procedure. So if you're uh, pleased, as the Lord puts me on your heart, I trust he will. Tomorrow afternoon, please pray for me. During that, uh, I've just I, I have felt your support. I have felt everybody's support, and it's just been it's been huge. I, I truly, truly appreciate it. But it's just it's been a roller coaster of three weeks, and I, I'm ready for the next step. This is not this is not the only step. There's more, but you will be blessed by. We have a, a good lineup coming to uh, preach on Sundays. I'm excited about that. A few guys from across the lake at Lakeview Christian Center, our sister church, but also Mark's going to be preaching one of those days. Jordan Bellum is going to be preaching one of those, so uh, I, I'm like, "Wow, I really want to hear these guys. This is going to be really, really good. <clears throat> Pastor Keith is going to be coming over to uh, do the Alpha course this Tuesday night on faith, so the, he is uh, a pro at that, so probably be much better. So like, like Milton said, just come, just come and enjoy dinner and hang out. Well, let's get into uh, George Mueller's story. George Mueller was born, I forgot the clicker, Diane, so you're going to have to help me out. Thank you very much. Um, George Mueller was born September 27th in 1805, so we uh, just passed his birthday um, in Prussia, Kopenstadt, Prussia, which, as I looked on the map, what occurred to me because I'm a Cold War area kid, I was like, oh, that's East Germany. They don't have East Germany anymore, but it would have been in East Germany, not far from Berlin, uh, right south of Wittenberg, which is where Martin Luther uh, hung the historic 95 theses on the church door. So that's the area he was brought up in. He was a scoundrel of a child. Cheated out his friends, stole money from his friends, didn't care. It was a game. He loved doing it. And he kept on doing it. The only regrets he had were when he got caught. And when he was 16, he got caught. He would go to a town. He would stay an entire week in a hotel and leave when they tried to get the the money from him. He would just skip town and go somewhere else. Well, it caught up with him. He was arrested. At 16 years old, arrested and spent five weeks in jail. And it was over Christmas that he was uh, in jail. He knew his his father died when, uh, I'm sorry, his mother died when he was 14. So his father, in, the, in just trying to figure out what will we do with you because you won't cooperate, enrolled him in university at Halle, which is today Martin Luther University. And uh, he said, you will have a personal tutor to watch over you. George thought, I don't want a tutor because I want to have fun. I don't want anybody watching over me. So he figured out a way, didn't figure out a way, he went over and enrolled in another college uh, that wouldn't cost as much money, and he told his father, look, I've done this, I'm going to go to this college, and you can trust me with it. His father, oh, okay, that's fine. So he didn't have a tutor, but he still was doing his thing. When he finished that uh, little junior college-ish of a place, uh, he had gained enough trust with his dad, so when he went to Hala, he wanted to go to Hala, when he went there, he didn't have to have tutor. But uh, his father said, All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Halle because I want you to be a pastor. George remembered, out of 900 divinity students at Halle, he said about nine had a genuine relationship with the Lord. Because back in the 1800s, uh, the Lutheran church was the official state church of Prussia, and it was a well paying job. if you could speak well you were paid well and you either went to university to be an attorney or a pastor because those were the best paying jobs in germany not so much anymore when uh when he was there he he tried really hard to live a straight life he actually said well if i'm gonna be a pastor i think one of the first things i need to do is go get a bible he didn't have a Bible, went to go get a Bible. Um, <clears throat> he had, and, he, and the books that he brought with him, his father gave him, he had over 300 books, and he was going to make this work. But when he walked past the bar, he just said, the German beer houses were everywhere, so he said, I just need to go in. It started when he was 19, and he became the life of the party. He was known as the divinity student who drank a lot of beer. He would guzzle 10 pints of, 10 pints of uh, beer in a single sitting, sitting it was told. Uh, but he would tell the most outrageous stories. He would recount the stories of when he was in jail or when he cheated his friends out of something and when he left town before paying the bill at the the hotels, and he would embellish them, and they would be, he was just a storyteller, so everybody loved being around him. And there was this one man that enjoyed being around him. His name was Beta, and he enjoyed being around him so much, and Beta used to be a straight-laced guy, but he wanted, he grew up in church, and his parents were, were Christians, and he was a Christian, and just... I don't want to do this anymore so i'm gonna try out the life and he saw this other guy was a divinity student so there's a little permission there so he says i'm gonna go hang out with this guy so beta and george began to hang out they would hang out in the bars but god got a hold of beta's heart one day and he said i don't want to do this i don't want to do this carousing anymore i'm going back i'm going back to the lord I i want what god has for me so he began going to a bible study one day george says hey beta let's go down to the beer house and beta says no it's all right I'm, I'm going to go to Bible study. George invites himself to the Bible study. Beta says, "No, that's really that's really okay." And Beta did not want him to come. No, it's fine. George says, "Nonsense, Beta. You always go to the alehouse with me. The least I can do is go to the Bible meeting with you." Of course, George enjoyed the discomfort of Beta, and he was going to mock the whole thing. And as they were there, he he. When George growing up, always thought that uh, people praying and singing the Bible just was is an uh, ethereal thing. It was something outside. It wasn't a personal experience. But when he went to this Bible meeting, he discovered that it was a personal experience for these attendees. The man, Mr. Kaiser, who was he was reading a sermon. It was illegal for any any non-Lutheran. Uh, all the sermons had to be delivered by Lutheran pastors. And so he, he would, instead of uh, preaching his own sermon, he would read the sermon of another pastor. But as George began listening, he felt himself being drawn into what was being read. And when Mr. Kaiser had finished, George pulled out his watch to check the time, and it had been an, an hour and a half, and he didn't even realize it. Something was happening to him. Something he was feeling that. His his yearning for what his life had been was withering, and he wanted something else. These people that he was around uh, were singing and talking about somebody that they knew personally. And they they preached as if they were believing every word that that, that the Bible said. And all of it was very troubling for George. He didn't know what to do with it. He couldn't come up with a funny reply when Beta asked him, what would you think of it? How did it go? He, could not, he couldn't come up with anything. He said, he said this, nothing I have ever done, not traveling to Switzerland, not spending the night drinking and partying at the ale house, has ever been as enjoyable to me as this evening. George went back to the Bible meeting, and after that, went back and went back and went back, and before... Within a a few weeks, George went home and was kneeling by his bedside and asked God to forgive him of his sins and become a true Christian. Something began to be strangely different about George. Everybody was expecting him to be the life of the party again, and his direction and his focus was very different in his life. After going to the Bible meeting for six weeks, he he, uh, came to, and, and reading the Bible and longing for what God had in his life, he came to the conclusion that he should be a missionary problem was that he had to tell his dad about that. Although it was difficult, he knew once he got it out, he knew that that's what needed to happen. So he told first the people around him, and they were they were affirming of him and encouraging of him, and then he said he needed to tell his dad. When he told his dad, his dad was livid angry as all get out because his father had been very kind and generous to him giving him giving him money while he was at school and just providing for him even when he was cheating people he was getting into debts because playing cards and losing and he would send uh johan his father would send money to be able to cover his debts just a very a very generous compassionate father his father said if you if you go be a missionary and not a pastor i'm not going to give you any more money and george said that's fine Dad, I don't want your money I'm going to do this depending on God. So he goes back to university, can't find a job. And he sits there and says, well maybe I should pray about this. And he sat at his desk and he prayed, God, please provide a job for me. Several minutes later, a professor knocks on his dorm room door. He was shocked to see a professor there. He's trying to clean things up, be it, make it presentable. There's another gentleman with the professor and the professor Speaks to George in German, of course, because they're in Germany, but he speaks in German and then switches to English because George knew, in total, at the end of his life, he knew seven different languages, but he knew English as a child. And so he's speaking English and said, oh, these men are from Princeton in America, and they need to learn German. Will you be their tutor? So he takes the, the it was three Different Americans come to find out, not just one. All three of them would pay individually as if they had individual tutor help, even though he would tutor them collectively. And they insisted on paying him the going rate and making sure that he was well cared for. It all happened from the time he prayed to so there's an agreement. An hour and a half had gone by. And those types of experiences for George Mueller, when he would pray for something and it would happen within moments, began, they, they, they marked and characterized his prayer life, and that is challenging for us because so often we pray and we give up on an answer rather than seeing, seeing how it'll come about. Well, he also uh, didn't have a place to stay because the, with the money he was getting from tutoring wasn't enough to cover his, his, uh, law, his room and board at the university. But there was this little orphanage around the corner from the university called Franca Orphanage. And they always, Franca was, he was a professor at Holly University. Uh, He had died, but he left the legacy of this orphanage and he always wanted one room in the orphanage to be reserved for a deserving divinity student at the university. So the professor then says, oh, and Franca uh, Orphanage has a room. Would you like me to suggest you to be in it? George says, absolutely, that would be fantastic. So he had a place to stay. He had a well-paying job, all in a matter of hours. And when he got to the orphanage, he recognized that they did things differently there. And this, what he recognized became the pattern of how he would uh, eventually be used by the Lord when he ended up in Bristol, England. He, he was told by the staff that they never asked for money. They just simply prayed. And waited on God to provide. There was no regular source of income, and they relied on God to supply every aspect of their needs. While he was in uh, Franca, he he got the opportunity to go preach as a divinity student. He was very excited, so he rode a horse out to a, a rural village to go preach, and it was very eloquent and very great. <laughs> and the the they were mostly farmers that were in this. Uh, church and afterwards he went back to shake hands, and they thanked him for his very fancy sermon. Very fancy. But then he realized, wait a minute, this is not good. And he was going to preach again at the, night, the evening service at the church, and he said, I- I'm preaching this all wrong. And there was a simplicity that he knew he needed to achieve, and so he asked to be just for a few hours during that day, and he rewrote a sermon in order to preach it that night and everybody that was that had come through that evening was saying they learned something new about the lord and how to go after him so he knew all right sermons need to be simple as he's in university he hears of a man who is uh is going to work with jews in different parts this one particular man was going to warsaw poland to work with jews and something ignited in In George's heart. So he thinks, well, I want to be a missionary. The Jews, and he had already begun studying Hebrew because he just felt the Lord uh, stirring him to study Hebrew. So he said, all right, maybe I'll just go work with the Jews. And where do I do that? And this one professor at the university says, oh, in London, they have a training school uh, to to be able to minister to the Jews. He said, well, I'll do that. I'll make my way to London. So he gets there. Wasn't there too long before he was... uh, well, there was one sticking point before he got to London. In Prussia during that time, you had to serve all able-bodied uh, men, had to serve in the military for at least a year. So when he went for his physical, he didn't want to serve in the military. He really wanted to go to London, be able to get going with mission work. He was there for his, uh, and he bad, had battled some sicknesses while he was young. Um, and they the, the physician giving him the physical new, assumed he'd be disappointed to learn that he was too sick to serve in the military George said this is great I don't have to serve I'm going to London so he didn't have to serve he goes straightway to London but in London he battled sickness again and and all through these weird pattern of events God was putting together a story and that's what we have to continually remember about our lives whenever whenever we encounter trials whenever we encounter setbacks when we think it, things aren't working out, the plan's not working accordingly, God is stringing together a course of events that he will get glory for, and he wants us to pay attention to those things because he's doing something in those moments. Well, he ends up, he needs to go to the sea. He can't be in the city uh, because of the, and it was, of course, very <coughs> very dirty. In I mean, Open sewer lines uh, were in most parts of the city. Of the poorest sections of the city, and that's where George wanted to go minister to folks. But he needed to go to the sea for recuperation, so he went to Tenmouth uh, in the little state of Devon where he met a good friend and pastoral partner that would be his friend for life, a guy named Henry Crake. He was from Scotland. He had just graduated from St. Andrews and came down there. Uh, George and Henry bonded so well that they said, this is what we, we want to we want to journey together in ministry. It was during this time that George recognized that he was reading too many books besides the Bible. So he committed to read through the Bible completely, and he, would run, he wanted to read the Bible more than he was reading other books. and Something was happening in his heart while he was in Tenmouth, and he no longer wanted to go to Europe to work with Jews. Uh, he wanted to stay in England to preach to anyone who would listen, and he was hired at Ebenezer Chapel uh, had asked him to be its pastor, and he and Henry Craig co-pastored Ebenezer Chapel. And while he was there, uh, he had known of a, a missionary, Andrew Groves, that left everything in Tenmouth. From there, sold everything he had, left everything, and went to Persia, went to Baghdad in Persia to preach the gospel to the Muslims. And he always desired, oh, I wish I could meet him, to find out who he is. Then as, as the community is together, he meets a lady named Mary. Come to find out Mary is Mary Groves, Andrew's younger sister. So he gets to know Mary and falls in love with Mary and marries Mary. Uh, I thought he had, he had good taste because Mary was several years older than he was. So I said, wise man. Very wise man. I know what that, that is about. So on October 7th, 1830, they were married. When Mary, after their wedding, they had a small ceremony. She's setting up their house, the house they would, they would live in for 66 years. Setting up the house all this, the trunks that he's moving in kind of like these are really heavy why are these so heavy well she puts out all kinds of ornate curtains and china and silver puts it all out decorates it well she had decorated most of it when he was doing his pastoral visits uh going around town and when he came home he looks around and he sat down or she was you don't like my stuff what's going on i just decorated and this is all for you typical marriage issues And he said, we're going to have to get rid of all of this. What? He said, we have to get rid of all of this. This is not the simplicity of life that God's called us to live, especially as mission life. God's not called us to live this way. She put her head down, and she said, okay. They didn't talk about it again. The next day, he goes off for pastoral visits. He comes home, and on the table, while everything in the house was left, or was empty. There was a table of of pound notes on the table. She said, here, George, I trust you. Do whatever you think the Lord's leading you to do. There were several different moments where Mary would express, I understand what God's calling you to. I'm with you. I'm with you in this calling. He also came to the conclusion that uh, in the church that he was serving in Ebenezer Chapel, what they did was Uh, pew renting and it was very common in every single church where the the families would rent the pews and even some had doors and locks on them so nobody else could sit in those sections so when you had your seat that really was your seat because you paid for your seat and all the good seats were in the front because you could hear really well and in the back were the cheap seats that's where that came from all the cheap seats were in the back because it didn't cost as much. Well, George came home one day and said, Mary, we have to get rid of pew renting. What she realized is that he was saying, we have to give up our income and see what happens. Because most of the salary of the pastors came from the pew rentals. So he said, all right, George, do what you think the Lord's calling you to do? I'm with you. So they put a box in the back of church. They got rid of all of the pews, all the locks and doors on the pews. They got rid of that, lost several prominent members because they wanted to go to church. They could buy their seat. He put a box in the back. They said, we're just going to trust God. We're going to trust God and see what he does. God answered so many of their, so many of their, their needs. But right time, like when he, prayed before about a job and a place to live, and God answered. One day, George and Mary sat down for dinner time with empty plates and nothing cooking in the oven. George sits down with his wife, and he prays, Lord, I thank you for the meal that you're about to bless us with, and waited. Now, ladies, you know if you're married to a man like that, you're thinking, something's wrong with you, sir. But Mary loved her husband. She waited too. There was a knock on the door a few moments later. A whole ham was provided for them. Here, I just wanted to bless you with a ham. Over and over and over again, these things happened. They learned to trust God, and every step was another bold way of trusting God. And God did provide for them. They never missed a meal. Their need was always met in some way, and they, they learned to trust Him fully. And they learned that any extra money that they had, they gave away to others. They never kept money that did not, they did not need, and they never allowed themselves to borrow a single penny if they had a need. They believed God would provide exactly what was needed when they needed it, and he did. He did, but then he comes to his wife and says, I think we should move to Bristol. She says, what's wrong with Tenmouth? She was from there. She had all of her friends there. They loved that. She was pregnant. Why can't we stay here? He says the Lord's calling us to go there. Henry actually went there too. And they became pastors of two churches. And they would share responsibility and preaching duties for both churches. One was Bethesda Chapel. The other, the other one Gideon Chapel. And during this time, there was a, a huge cholera outbreak when they first arrived there. With just the unsanitary conditions of the city, they, Lydia, their daughter, was a few weeks old when the cholera breakout went uh, was happening and george would go out and he would visit people who were dying of this disease and just like jesus not recoil from them he would take them by the hand and pray for them coming in this face uh, like skin contact with during that time hundred percent you were getting the sickness god preserved him god preserved lydia their baby god preserved mary And every day that he left, Mary knew, God, you're the God of my husband. I trust you. I trust you. So in every category, every single category, they learned to trust God. Uh, Henry and George were invited. They got a letter, and they were were invited to go to Baghdad, where Andrew Groves, his brother-in-law, was a missionary, to go to Baghdad and be missionaries, to reach out. Very excited about that. He was anticipating God was moving them to something bigger and wanted to do that, and on his way to uh, do one of his pastoral meetings, he came across a little girl who, about five years old, was holding her uh, brother around two years old, piggyback style, just walking around. He says, hi, how are you? She said, hi. He asked, what's your name? Emily. I can spell it, too. He said, I'll give you a penny if you can spell your name, E-M-I-L-Y, and he gave her that. He had a little exchange. But Emily made a lasting impression on George because as soon as he walked away, he realized they had lost both of their parents in the cholera outbreak, and they had nothing. So as he began thinking and praying, he said, Baghdad is not the place to go. The mission field's right here. And he began God sensing Weirdly, weirdly, he goes into a library and finds a biography of Franca who the guy who started the orphanage in Halle, this is in Bristol, England. And he reads that. he's He's reminded of all that he knows of what he lived there, how he saw the people in the orphanage and how they depended upon God. And he knew God's calling me to open orphanages here in Bristol. So he began having what he called a breakfast club. He also started... A mission organization called the Scriptural Knowledge Institute for Home and Abroad. Very long name. They had long names for everything. Long names for books, long names for articles, long names for mission organizations. But within the Scriptural Knowledge Institute, he wanted to be able to provide uh, the knowledge of God and Bibles to everybody that would Come uh, around, And, and he always was faithful with this. If if money came in for Bibles, he didn't take it and use it for something else. He used it for Bibles. If money came in for the orphanage, he used it for the orphanage. But this is what he would then ultimately be known for. God spoke to his heart. He said, "Somehow, George prayed. Let me be a light to those around me, and help me to find a way to reach the orphans before it's too late." He had no idea what God had in store for him. He tells his church, God's told me to start an orphanage, and the audience didn't know what quite to think about that, because they had something called poorhouses in England. If you were destitute and had nothing, you went to the poor house. But the poorhouse was more like a slave house than it was just a poor house that helped you get back on your feet. And so that was this another little colloquialism that we use, the poorhouse, but they really were poorhouses. If you were too poor you went there. That was he never got out. It was more of a, a curse, and they would send these children. So the church members are saying, we have the poor houses. Just let them, let them deal with it. And, and orphanage was, uh, the, uh, orphanages were unheard of during that time. But he says there would be no collections, no asking for money, no payment required for the children to take in, and they would not turn a child away. They had story after story. He He asked the Lord, he would ask the Lord for amounts of money as confirmation that he was supposed to take that step. And he got that confirmation, and on Wilson Street, they had four houses, Then, in quick succession, within a few years, they had four houses on Wilson Street. But opening the first one, February 3rd, 1836, he went to number six, Wilson Street, and he's waiting, he's got all the paperwork together, he has a little desk set up, he's waiting to receive kids. But no kids came that day. Very sad, he goes home and he tells Mary, his wife, she said, how'd it go? Expecting to hear all the positive things. He said, we didn't have any kids show up. And she said, George Mueller, did you pray for kids? You prayed for everything else. Did you pray for kids? And he said, no, I didn't. So both of them got on their knees in that moment and said, Lord, send the children. And the next day, they took in three kids. Everything, every aspect of his prayers, God drew him in. He actually said, let's go and pray, Mrs. Mueller. (laughs) When he was opening those orphanages, there was something bigger in his mind that he knew. He wanted, uh, he first opened the orphanages for girls. And then he knew that there needs, to be, there needs to be more. We need to have more orphanages, more for boys and girls. But here was this, this, this man now who was a boy who cared for nobody but himself, was now a man caring for children that nobody else wanted to care for. Things were going well uh, on Wilson Street, but a neighbor one day sent a letter about how loud, the orphans were. Now, normally these row houses on Wilson Street fit 10 people. They were fitting 30 kids in there at a time. Rather than George uh, taking this letter as, well, you know, this is God's work. Leave me alone. We're just going to go ahead with God's work. He actually thought about Jesus saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And George would always connect scriptures that way. He would look in the scriptures and he would identify what God was doing. So he used that opportunity to say, maybe God's doing something else. Mm -hmm. And He he would call on different pieces of property and try to figure out, uh, can we fit orphan houses here? Can we build over here? Everything was usually too expensive. But he walked up and he heard about uh, a, a piece of land up Ashley Down Road which was about a mile up from Wilson Street, up on a, a hill that had a nice view. It was higher up, so there was breeze that could come on, uh, over them from the ocean. When he went to meet with the owner, the owner said, I was up three times last night, and every time, God told me to drop the price that I'm to charge you for this land. So we got it for 200 pounds an acre. He was asking a 1000 went down to 200 That's a lot of money back then. But that's like shrewd negotiating from Mueller, right? He was sleeping. God was waking up this guy, doing all the negotiating. But it was a beautiful piece of land. When he, uh, they began building the houses, ultimately they had five huge dormitories, so when the first house they had was large enough for 300 children and as they were growing and as they were uh adding more and more people rumors began to spread that all the children were starving and they really just did manual labor and it was uh, it was more like a poorhouse. and charles dickens who had the british author who wrote oliver twist about the poorhouses, houses uh youth in the poor houses he came by to visit and said i've heard some rumors That this is more like a poor house. Mueller said, sir, uh, here, he gave his assistant a handful of keys and said, take Mr. Dickens anywhere on the property that he wants to go. Open any door for him. We have nothing to hide. After three hours, they came back. Charles Dickens says, there were no rumors that are true. And he went and wrote an article. And it was published in all the papers around England. And it squashed all the rumors. Squashed everything. George said, this is God's. We don't have anything to hide. When he was raising money, I don't know if I'm skipping a story, hold on one second. There we go, okay, it's coming, it's coming. It's the greatest story. Mueller said this, the greatest of the sum required affords me Uh, the greatness of the sum when he asked god for more and more money every time he would look to build a new orphanage he would ask god for a thousand pounds give me a thousand dollars to know i'm supposed to build this that's a lot of money back then as soon as he would get it he he would just wait he'd wait for it paid for it all in cash he wouldn't start the house until he had all the money stored up for it and he said the greatness of the sum required affords me a kind of secret joy for the greater the difficulty to be overcome, the more will it be seen to the glory of God how much can be done by prayer and faith. It was quite common for a package to arrive at the orphanage filled with rings, pearl necklaces, and brooches to be sold and the money used for the orphanage. One uh, fall going into winter, one of the orphan houses had a boiler that broke. And it would have been, this is, again, 300 children in the, the orphan house. Uh, they would have, they were trying to figure out how do we keep everybody warm because it's, it's getting colder. George, who always looked for reasons, for, he stored up, when he read the Bible, he stored up reasons for God's intervention. And he would pray those to God. So he asked two specific things, that the men who came to fix the boiler would have a mind to work like God gave Bezalel in the Old Testament to build all the furniture for the, the tabernacle and then that was used in the temple. So he's asking for a mind to work, and they get going with the project, but they realize that for 10 days before the project is to start, there's a north wind coming with a bitter cold. So George prays, and he prays for, there to be the, for the wind to shift and come from the south so it would bring a warmer air and they would have uh, time to complete the project. The next morning when they woke up, when it was supposed to start, the wind came from the south, 180-degree turn, and they didn't even have to light a fire to keep everybody warm because the air was so balmy. When there was uh, a situation when they had the first orphan house, they have 300 girls that are sitting down ready to eat, and uh, George is outside, and there's a little girl who was the daughter of... Uh, somebody who came to work with him and partner with him and he's watching this little girl Abigail play and he says uh, the uh, lady comes out to meet him and says Mr. Mueller it's happened said, what do you mean? we have nothing to feed the children tonight oh, sorry it's morning we have nothing to, to feed the children this morning and he goes to the little girl and he says come Abigail let's see what God will do he walks inside He leads everybody in a prayer, thanking God for their food and the provision that God would get ready to provide them. And they sat. They waited. Moments later, as a knock on the door, the baker showed up. And he said, God woke me up. He said, God told me yesterday that I needed to bake bread for you, so I've been up since 2 o'clock this morning baking bread for all the children. Here, just need some help getting it out of the wagon. So the children began celebrating and then all of a sudden, moments later, there's another knock on the door. It's milkman. He says, uh, my wagon wheel just busted, and I need to unload all of the milk in order to fix the wagon. And by the time I get it fixed, it's going to spoil before I deliver it. So would y'all like it? Miller sends a few guys out, get the milk. They ladle it into the bowls, the cups. God provided their meal. But listen what he told. Let's see what God will do. Oh, church, for us to have that type of mentality when it comes to God. See, we can look at George Mueller and say he had a gift of faith. And I do think he operated in a gift of faith like uh, 1 Corinthians 12, that God gives the gift of faith to his people to operate that way. But that's not how he ever described his gifting of faith. He called it a grace of faith. And when he called it a grace of faith, he was inviting everybody else to experience that faith themselves, that God gives a faith to live for him. For every believer, every child of God, he gives a faith that says, you're mine. Trust me. It's, it's in that faith, that childlike faith, that we can go to God and say, God, I know when I pray, you're going to respond. Come and see what God will do. It's the last time we've asked that of the Lord. That's that's why we're in this relationship with God. We're not just waiting around until one day we're done with this life, we get heaven. It's not just that. There's the glory of heaven, yes, but there's the glory of seeing God show up today in little minuscule pieces of our lives. So listen, when something's lost, we pray. It was last week, Mark lost his iPad for the second service. Could not find it anywhere. Aaron Allen said, oh, we're going to find it." I just prayed. It's beautiful. Amber found it like three minutes later. Brought it up to Mark up here. We pray, in, our, in our, our house, we pray for lost things all the time. And I know sometimes our kids are like, all right, this is ridiculous. You know, every single time, we find exactly what we're praying for. Exactly what we're praying for. So we pray for things. We pray when things don't work right, because it, it releases our, our clutch on the things around us and what we're seeing and trying to control. It, we release our clutch to be able to trust God and follow Him as He leads us. Many visitors kept coming to see Ashley down. One was a 33-year-old, soon-to-be missionary, Hudson Taylor, who took everything that George Mueller did and never asked him for money and repeated that when he started China Inland Mission. And he just—he was a doctor in Shanghai, and he said, "God, you're just going to provide," and God provide. Mueller said this, showing Christians that God is able to answer prayer was one of the reasons I decided to build the orphanage at Ashley Down. He wanted Christians to know God answers prayer. Ultimately, they had five orphan houses. Today, uh, they're still standing today, and they are the college, the City College of Bristol university that meets in those same orphan houses. At one point, when all the five houses were up, they were caring for 2,050 children, never missing a meal, and having all of their needs met. He passed on the, the teaching of everybody needs to know the Bible and trust God because he can be taken... At his word, the aim of George Mueller's life was to glorify God by helping people, go, uh, helping people take God at His word. And to that end, he saturated his soul with the Word of God. He, at uh, the point at the end of his life, had read the Bible through nearly two hundred times. When he had, uh, when Mary, after thirty. Plus years married to Mary. Mary died suddenly. Uh, He then marries Lady Susanna. Married to her for 23 years. And so when and then Mary died or Susanna died as well. Lydia, his daughter, died at the age of 57 unexpectedly from a sickness. But here is is what he's telling his church at 92 years old. He said, "I am a happy old man. I walk about my room and say, Lord." I am not alone, for you are with me. I have buried my wives and my children. They also had a son, Elijah, that died at a year old. He says, I've buried my wives and my children, but you are left. I am never lonely or desolate with you and with your smile, which is better than life. George Mueller knew how to make himself happy in God every day. He said he made it his aim to be happy in God as the day started. On Wednesday, March 10th, 1898, George Mueller, at 92 years old, was found on his bedroom floor with his Bible open on his bed. He usually read the Bible on his knees at his bed. He had died and went into eternity. The entire city of Bristol mourned. Everything shut down for an entire week. In the 63 years he had run the orphanage, He had taken full responsibility for the care of over 10,000 orphaned children. It's another, I forgot to include this. He, in his latter years, uh, he began, when he married Susanna, he began traveling all over the world preaching the gospel, went to 70, when he was 70, he started preaching the gospel, went to 42 different countries. Uh, There was, uh, he was off the coast of Newfoundland, uh, coming to North America, speaking in Canada, and fog is preventing them from getting to port, and he's, He tells the captain, uh, because he sees it's getting delayed, I'm supposed to preach on Saturday night. And the captain says, I can't do anything about the fog. George Mueller says, we can do something about the fog. Come with me. He goes down to his room, and he he kneels down. The captain very nervously kneels down beside him, and he says, Lord, I pray you've never let me uh, miss an opportunity to preach your word. I pray right now that you will cause this fog to lift, and we can go to port. He got up captain said, uh, dear God. George said, you don't have to pray because you don't believe God will do this. I know, he just did. They walk back up, fog is gone. Trusted God. Went from a being, being a boy who stole from his father, swindled everybody out of money, to a God who, to a man who God trusted with a fortune a man who kept so little for himself when he died, said that he probably gave away $70,000, sorry, $700,000 that was given to him personally. Gave it all away because he just trusted in his lifetime. He just trusted God will provide. The last orphan left now with all of the changes within society and everybody's recognition of that and the fact that sicknesses didn't kill parents off, uh, parents began la- uh, living longer. The last orphan left the orphanage on Ashley Down for good in 1958, from 1836 to 1958. And uh, what happened is that some of them who grew up in the orphanage, uh, the Scriptural Knowledge Institute still a thing today, and they began caring for the elderly because that's who they found were being neglected. And some of the Mueller children that grew up in The orphanages were then cared for by the Scripture Knowledge Institute as elderly. So at the the young and the old. When he died, it was written of him in the paper that he robbed the cruel streets of thousands of victims by taking them in. God provided the orphanage in the life in its lifetime when George was alive and running it for that sixty something years. Provided with two million dollars. That would be 180 million dollars today without him ever asking anybody for money. He was tempted on occasion, but he said, no, Lord, you're going to do it. You're going to provide. So look, this story, this is, this is the story. See, George Mueller wanted to bring about this, uh, bring about the orphanages to teach Christians that God answers prayer and he can be taken at his word. That's what we trust. He answers prayers, and we take him at his word. Let's pray, Father. We thank you so much for uh, heroes of the faith that have gone before us. Lord, I ask that you would cause us to be mighty in prayer, mighty in faith, to trust you. We see those stories in Scripture of the woman who has the the bleeding for twelve years, pressing through the crowd to get, excuse me, get to you. We see, we see the the. The man coming to you saying, blind Bartimaeus, son of David, have mercy on me. Or They they come to you, taking you at your word. Father, I pray we, we, we would do the exact same thing in our lives with you. And we would pay attention to the details as you would have us. You're paying attention to those. God, may we pay attention to the details in order to see you do great things, great things in our lives.